This is Brian Kaplovitz, and you're listening to the Speaker Match Radio Series, Success Strategies for Speakers from the Pros. This is a live show where we interview top experts in the speaking industry and business to provide emerging speakers with marketing strategies and other business building advice. If you're listening live, you can participate in this call online right now by going to speakermatch.com slash radio. This is Brian Kaplovich, your host, and our guest today is Christy Largent, and Christy has been speaking professionally for 18 years. She's been with Speaker Match since early 2016, so about two years now, and her focus is in the areas of communication and leadership skills uh, with an emphasis on increasing engagement both in work and in life. And if you haven't checked out her demo video on the homepage of her website, which is at christylargent.com, I suggest you do. It is a really great marketing piece. It's really well executed. Uh, I highly recommend that you look at that if you are looking to put together a demo reel. And we'll put that link in our show notes as well. Today we're going to be talking about the highs, lows, and in-betweens of international speaking and what you need to know before you say yes to your next international opportunity. Christy has a lot of experience speaking internationally, but one encounter with an opportunity in the country of Georgia through Speaker Match prompted a series of conversations between our office and Christy. And we learned very quickly that Christy is a true professional, and we really admired her approach and communication during the process of vetting and ultimately speaking to this organization in Georgia. And the information we have in store for you will undoubtedly demystify all that goes into the international speaking and save you tremendous time and money when pursuing these kinds of leads. So thank you so much for being with us today, Christy. <laughs> thank you, Brian. What a nice introduction. Thank you. I'm I'm very uh, very glad to have you with us, and your topic is something that resonates with a lot of people. We got a, list, a lot of listeners that are on the line today, so uh, international Good. speaking and international travel, I think, is interesting to lots of people, and they they'd like to hear from an expert what uh, what kinds of tips, trip, uh, tricks, techniques, ideas you might have for them if they're looking to speak internationally. Sure, I'll be glad to. I love I love talking about this. I love doing it, and I love talking about it. So anything I can offer that would be of help for our listeners, yay. I'm really glad to, to give it. All right. Well, one of the biggest questions that we get asked constantly is, how do you know if the client is legitimate? What's going to happen if I, you know, travel overseas and it ends up not being a real thing? So that, tell us a little bit about how you go about <laughs> figuring that out, if it's somebody that's uh, trustworthy. Yeah, that's really the biggest thing in this day and age. I mean, seriously, when I got the inquiry from Georgia, I was like, first of all, where the heck is Georgia? Is this, like, not in the United States, right? And the name was all foreign and I was like, okay, this is a scam, <laughs> because I thought, what on earth? And so I really had to do some due diligence to find out uh, whether it is legitimate or not. And, I, and that's really what I advise for, for everyone. Start just because of social media, thankfully, it's a lot easier to find that out today than it was, say, five years ago, because you cannot obviously 
check out their LinkedIn profile, check out their Facebook page, check out their Twitter feed if they're, if they're on Twitter. And really you can look and see, obviously you look first for their website, right? Do they have a website? What does it look like? Uh, usually, in, even in international uh, venues, English is the language that's used. So a lot of times the website will have a button at the top right that shows the in-country language, and then they'll have an American flag or a British flag or Australian flag that will you can click on for English. So obviously you just want to do your due diligence and check them out, first of all, online. And it was interesting because this most recent um, program I did in Georgia, golly, we started talking almost a year ago, and um, they did not – their website for the program that we were doing was not really up and running. So initially there wasn't even that. And so they had um, – it was a little bit weird because, you know, it's not like in Europe where it's pretty easy, where everything is – is pretty, you know, similar to the United it, it, the United States. Like there's a familiarity. But you start moving east, like whether it's to China or east as in like east, further eastern Europe into Georgia, which, by the way, borders Turkey. So if you're trying to figure out where it is, it borders Turkey. Um, things get a little bit different, so you have to do a little bit more work. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that speakers worry about, even with events that are happening in the United States, are whether or not the event is legitimate. That's not always the case, but sometimes there are questions. And if you ever have any concern that there might be something that's not quite right, or you're worried that, you know, you, you just want to protect yourself, um, I think that probably the best advice is that you want to have some money in the bank before you step before you step onto an airplane or before you oh, before you uh, leave I, the house. I wanted, yeah, like I wanted all the money in the bank before I stepped on the airplane because here's the deal: you're going all the way around the world, and especially when you're talking about a, a developing country like Georgia, it was a you know, I really felt a level of comfort with them because I had been working with them for like six, eight months in preparation. But before I, I put together, here's the thing. The first thing I did was when I got the contact, and it was through Speaker Match, was I contacted Paul, and I'm like, okay, what's the deal? Is this a scam? And he said, well, quite a few, a, a number of people got this. Uh, and I said, okay, well, I'll respond and I'll see, you know, how they respond back to me. So I put a little bit of effort in. I gave them a very nice response. Then they got back with me, and then they wanted um, a proposal. So I thought, well, I can put together a proposal. It'll take me, you know, probably an hour, maybe a little more to put together. I, after, you know, some back and forth to really hone in on what they were hoping to accomplish so that I could tailor it to their needs, I did put a little bit of work in up front with uh without receiving any money but once i got the proposal accepted and i can go into all that if you want in more detail in a minute but once i got that proposal accepted i actually had them give me like a little bit of money just to kind of prove that they were that they were really valid and then i once we got the actual proposal done i always ask for 50% up front 
So I at least have that 50% in my bank account. Now, I mean, worst comes to worst and the thing gets canceled or whatever, I'd be happy to pay it back. But I just really like having that 50% deposit. And then for international, I like payment in full prior to me going. It's just, I don't do that uh, domestically. And I know a lot of speakers do do that domestically. I don't. I let them pay me on the day of the event. But uh, in, in country. But when you're talking about international travel, it's a major disruption to your life. And I have young kids at home, and for me, it's it's a major thing. And so I want to make sure I have payment before I go. I think that's excellent advice. And if anybody is wondering how to get payments, uh, if you get a check, um, you want to make sure that that check has cleared for at least 30 days. Any problems that might happen with the check are generally dealt with within that time frame. Uh, it could be a little bit longer just to be safe. You may want to extend it by another 30 or even 60 days to be really comfortable if it's a check. But there are other ways to uh, to get the money into your account that may be a little bit safer than that or faster than that, and that would be uh, a, a wire transfer. Um, yeah. Are you safe America for Mm -hmm. Bank of America is national, and that's who I ended up using. My local business bank, where my business account is, is a relatively small bank. And so they had trouble. The first wire, which was just like $100 earnest money, the first that wire uh, came through no problem to my small business bank. But the when it got to the larger amount, I um, had trouble. So at that point, I went across the street to Bank of America, where I have my personal account, and, you know, they do it all the time. I was really nervous about it because, you know, still you're you're transferring from a foreign country and you're thinking, well, are they – at this point even, I was still like, are they really legitimate? And I didn't want to give them my account. But when you use a bank like Bank of America, I mean, I'm certainly no attorney, but I, I can say they have a pretty foolproof system. And even in my – I live in a small town, and even there the, the guy at the bank knew exactly what codes to give me. I sent those codes over to my contacts in Georgia, and they were able to put the money through no problem. And it was basically within 24 hours. And the money was in my account, and then I transferred it out of that account right away. So I ha actually had the cash in hand, so to speak. Right. So that, that, it's a very right. simple process, yeah. Right. And the, the disadvantage to that might be that the fees for wire transfer are uh, are going to be higher. There will be fees for a wire transfer. Uh, the, yeah, actually, it wasn't it wasn't very much, and it was I added it onto my cost to the client. So the client basically paid for the fee. Great. What about travel arrangements? Who pays for that, and who makes the travel arrangements? Well, it was really interesting when I wrote my proposal. I was so not sure they were really legitimate, you know. So. I'm like, oh, I want to fly first class and this, that, and the other. I thought, what the heck? I might as well ask for it, right? Well, they came back, and they're like, you know, we really can't do first class, but you want to do business. And I thought, well, I can do business class. That's fine. And then um, I got to talking to another woman who had initially accepted their offer to also come and speak, and she was from back east. And I, so I called her. Because, again, this is part of my whole, like, checking them out. I called the woman, and I'm like, I actually reached out on LinkedIn, and then we had a conversation. 
And I said, you know, are you going? And what do you know about this group and so forth and so on? And she said, well, I'm going, but I'm taking my assistant, and they're paying for my assistant to come. And I thought, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. So then I went back to them, and I said, I would like to, rather that they agreed to business class, and instead of business travel, I said, I'll fly coach if I can bring my assistant. And by this point, you guys, I had figured out that they were legitimate. They were a pretty um, – this was a new venture for their organization. Uh, it was not a scam. And also, they were not, like, rolling in money. And I wanted to honor them. And so rather than say, oh, by the way, I need to bring someone with me, I ended up bringing my daughter, which was amazing. And they paid for the two of us to go coach and uh, – and we wrote, and both of us went. It was the same price as if I had had one ticket business class. Now, the interesting thing is I let them make all the travel arrangements because they have a travel uh, agency as one of the divisions of their organization, so it, it made sense. However, I gave them all of the travel details of what I wanted. So I said I want to fly. I'm going to fly from San Francisco, and it's on this flight, and it goes through Istanbul. And I actually did a lot of research because I was I wanted to have some time in Istanbul on the end of our trip, and so since it was so close, I and it, all the flights from San Francisco flew through Istanbul to get to Tbilisi, Georgia, which is where I was going. So that's how come I ended up letting them out, having them make the travel arrangements. They paid for everything. They sent me the information for my e-ticket. And it was very simple. Now, while we're talking about travel, if I may, is it okay if I tell them a little bit about the whole visa situation? That would be great. I just want to remind uh, our listeners that, uh, well, first of all, we are speaking with Christy Largent. She's talking about international travel for speakers. And if you have a question or uh, would like to make a comment, you can dial star 2 on your keypad or click your uh, raise hand button on your virtual keypad on the web call interface, and we'd love to have you as part of the call. Great. Go ahead, Christy. So you want, yeah, okay. So what I was going to say is that some countries require a visa to get in if you're a United States citizen. Well, Turkey is one of those countries, and it was really interesting because even though had I not been planning on staying in Turkey, I still would have needed a Turkish visa because I came through Turkey to get to Georgia. So I went on their website, and I actually had thought about it, but then I didn't do anything until it was fairly close to the travel time. And when I looked, I saw that it needed a visa, which was like $25, I think. And it was a uh, – 60 day, I believe it was a 60 day visa, and I bought it right on the Turkish website. And like on the Turkey, the, it, the Turkey has a page that is there. They have a website for the country, and that's there. Additionally, while we're talking about that, it being international, our United States, the state.gov website is our is our United States State Department website. It is a wealth of information. And by the way, that was one of the places I did go when I was trying to check out the legitimacy of the organization because I wanted to see if, um, the, if the embassy in 
Tbilisi, which is the capital, knew anything about this organization. So I reached out to them as well. And they gave me some good information back, the, the embassy there in Tbilisi, Georgia. But as you go on the state.gov website, there's actually a program you can enroll in called the STEP program, S-T-E-P, and that lets the State Department know that you are traveling internationally. I actually do this whenever I travel internationally. Whenever I leave the U.S., whether it's to Mexico or wherever, I let them know where I am. And that way, if anything happens, um, you'll be your, – your contacts in the United States will be notified. Additionally, they know where you are. For example, when we were going to – when we did this trip, I put in all the hotel and contact information for Georgia as well as for Istanbul because we came back through Istanbul and spent four days there at the end of our trip, which, of course, I paid for the Istanbul stay because it wasn't part of the speaking engagement. But because of the way that we did the airfare, I was able to have the airfare was all covered, obviously, for the Tbilisi speaking engagement. But there's a lot going on in Turkey right now. And I had a lot of people say to me, oh, gosh, Christy, are you really sure you want to go to Turkey because there's so much upheaval and so forth and so on? I'm like, yes, I want to go. So there, it was very safe, actually. But the cool thing is the State Department gives you information and updates on the country that you're going to once you enroll in that STEP program, which, of course, is free. Um, and so they let me know, oh, my goodness, there are there's some warnings going on for Istanbul, so avoid these areas, which, of course, I would have done anyway. They said avoid large crowds, some just kind of basic things. But it gave me updates on what was going. Now, interestingly, I had been in China in June, and I had signed up for that program to let them know I was going to be in China. I received no updates or anything because there was no there was nothing going on in the region. So that's really good to, to know as far as, like, if you are over there, if something is starting to happen, you don't know how to find out more data, or you don't even know about it, the State Department will notify you, which, I mean, that makes me feel good, especially, like, as a woman traveling alone. I like to have that knowledge and information, and I like that the State Department knows where I am as well. Yeah, I think it's, that's a great bit of advice. I never heard of that before. It's Yep. So, uh, how how uh, early do you like to get to a to the venue when you're traveling internationally, and what does a what is a client comfortable paying for? Well, I just have always presented that I want to be at my best for them, and when you're talking a large time change, you're gen I generally ask for at least two days. Like I was speaking on Friday this past trip. And so we arrived on Wednesday. So I had Wednesday night and Thursday night as a full sleep, and then Friday was the event. Now, the interesting thing is on Thursday, I did a radio show for the organization by way of helping them with the marketing of what was coming up. So I was available to the client. I wasn't just like off sightseeing. I was available for the client, but it really helped me because it gave me a couple of days to sort of get settled and um, get a little more adjusted before the event on Friday. And I generally. And what about after the event? Two days. Well, okay. we had it was interesting. Yeah, they um, Saturday they had a group wide event for all of the conference attendees. 
because it was they people had come from all over the world and for this conference, and so they gave um, an option of several group tours for that Saturday following. And so I, I we participated in that as well, and they paid for that, and then I left on the next morning, on Sunday morning. So they paid from Wednesday night through Saturday night was all paid for me, even though I only spoke on Friday night. Now, I don't generally do that when it's a United States, you know, in-country event. I generally would like to get there the day before. So if I'm speaking on Friday, I arrive on Thursday. Even if I'm speaking late on Friday, I don't like to – it's a bad practice to arrive the day of because stuff can go wrong. So you want to make a practice of arriving the day before. And what about uh, – a little bit more about being at your best and – eating right and exercise. Do you have any good tips for people that are traveling internationally? Oh, yeah. Drink a lot of water on the airplane, on the way over. You want to drink so much water that the flight attendants notice. (laughs) Because (laughs) seriously, you will get so dried out that if you, especially as a speaker, you've got to have your voice. So I had, personally, I had no sugar, no flour, Nothing but water. I ate a lot of vegetables, some protein, just like really tried to eat super well in the several weeks leading up to the program because I didn't want to look all puffy. <laughs> just, you know, because sugar makes me feel, look horrible. But I really tried to eat very uh, – and it was hard, honestly, because the buffet – we stayed at this amazing hotel in Tbilisi, and the breakfast was probably the best breakfast buffet I've ever had in my life. It was so, even that includes China, which is usually just incredible, but it was so good, but I did not let myself have bread until after, or dessert until after I had spoken. <laughs> because I really wanted <laughs> to reward, be at my yeah. best. And yeah, I physically, like I, I don't do alcohol when I'm traveling. It is just, it's really hard. I mean, I hardly ever do alcohol, but I especially don't do sugar. That's my real nemesis. And I try to avoid it because I really want to be there for them. I want to bring 100%. I mean, they are paying me. I'm making – they want me to make a big impact for them. And I want to make a big impact. That's why I speak, right? And so I was the only professional speaker that they had at this conference, and they had a day full of speakers. And I really felt like I wanted to to deliver 150% for them. And I did. And it was not it was not easy, but I did it because that I'm a professional, right? And that's what I do. And doing things like drinking a ton of water, staying away from the caffeine, staying away from the sugar, staying away from the alcohol ahead of time gives you clarity so that you can really deliver. We are speaking with Christy Largent. If you are listening right now, it would be a great time to jump in and ask any questions that you have, uh, especially about the uh, logistics of traveling internationally. That'll start to or raise your virtual hands. You can also submit questions online through the uh, through the online form, and I will read out your questions there. Not too many talking to people today. All right. Um, <laughs> so, Christy, um, when it comes to content, when you are traveling. Uh, internationally. Actually, before I go into this, I got a, a question from Charles. I'll let Charles jump in. Uh, go ahead, Charles. Hey, uh, thanks uh, for allowing me to ask you this question. Um, 
My question was, in your proposals, uh, do you typically follow a template? Um, and how long um, are your, your pages for proposals? That's a great question. I actually used a more I use a more comprehensive proposal internationally than I actually do domestically um, because I just wanted everything super, super clear. Like it, everything has to be – and it's a good practice actually to use it domestically, uh, but especially internationally. It was a probably – I want to say it was two full pages. And I found it, another speaker from the National Speaker Association had shared it with me, and she had, uh, she's been speaking internationally for years, and so when I started using this one, oh, 18 months ago or so, it um, really helped because everything is spelled out. So you want to clarify, and I, and I think Speaker Match has a good, don't, Brian, don't you guys have a template also, a proposal template? Uh, we don't have a proposal template. Um, okay. No. Well, if no. you we email me, I'll be happy you know. to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to share it. it it's um, it's not. It's it's nothing. I ha I haven't had an attorney do it for me. So I would, if you're worried about that, I would check with your an attorney. But you know, I kind of feel like when it comes to proposals, I learned a long time ago. Uh, yes, you can hold your client. Well, let me see. How do I say this? I'm building relationship with my client. And if something happens, like, for example, I can tell you an example from, golly, it's been about at least 15 years ago. I was working for a union, uh, a, a union organization, and they had held me. I had worked with them quite a bit, and they had asked me to come to New York City to do a program for their for their national conference. Well, I said, so I said, okay, I put down the date, and at that time I did not get any money up front. And then about, I don't know, eight weeks before the event, I had turned down business on that date that I had held for them. And about eight weeks before their event, they said, we can't do it, Christy. We've had some issues. We're going to have to um, withdraw the proposal. This is, we're not moving forward with this. And I was like, well, legally, I could probably hold them to the fact that they owe me money for this conference because it's so close and I've, you know, I've already turned down business for this date. But I didn't. I said, okay, well, just let me know when things sort out. And I, I was very nice about it, even though on my contract it was very clear if they forfeited, whatever. And, you know, they ended up doing their conference about eight months later, six or eight months later, and I was the speaker that they had come in and do it. And I am firmly convinced that had I been like, well, you owe me money now, blah, 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 they wouldn't have had me back. And so I'm building relationships. So with that being the foundation, I'm also very clear on my contract. And especially internationally, I really spelled out who is doing what. When am I coming in? Who's paying for the airfare? Who's paying for expenses? I mean, I was very clear about it. And I see I would encourage you to be very, very clear on your contract. Great question. Thank you, Charles. And uh, Paul is telling me we do have template. I, I was thinking we had sample um, sample uh, applications, but we, we actually do have templates and they are in our resource center at speakermatch.com. 
So yeah, one more question from Jill. You you want to take a question? Sure. Yeah. All hi, right, Christy. Jill, go ahead. Thank you. Um, Christy, some people I know have been paid in cash overseas, and they're very stunned <laughs> and surprised, and they don't quite know what to do. And so I'm just wondering if you have faced that situation. That's so funny. I have not, but I have heard, in fact, other speakers that came had received, uh, in fact, one woman from London was telling me that she had to meet the director to receive her euros, you know, at the end of our Saturday excursion. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not surprised to hear that. I generally get it all wired over ahead of time. But I do know that they do cash. I would definitely, I don't know, every, every, everyone is different and every program is different. But, you know, taking it in cash is, then you're going to get stuck with bringing the cash back with you. And are you comfortable carrying cash? We adopted our kids from China. It's been quite a while ago now. In 2004 was when we first went over to get my daughter. And we had to bring 10, I think it was, is it $10,000? It was some huge amount, and we had to bring it in cash for the um, for the government when we complete the adoption. And it was really stressful on my husband <laughs> because even though we had it in a money belt and it was hidden, I mean, that's a lot of money, and you're talking a lot of money carrying on you. So I really would do that as a last resort. And I understand sometimes organizations don't have the money until the conference is done. <laughs> but you really, I, I personally would try to avoid that, especially as a woman. I mean, I hate to say it, but especially as a woman traveling alone, you have to be very aware of setting yourself up to for safety. <laughs> and carrying I, I wouldn't want yeah. to be set up either. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Find a way so, to get it yeah. uh, converted to electronic funds and send it over. Yeah. Thank you, Jill. Yeah. That was a good question. I haven't heard of that one either. <laughs> All right, uh, Christy, yep. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about content. Uh, when you're going uh, to an audience in another country, is there any content that you should avoid? Well, you want to be really clear with the organizer on what they're looking for, right? You want to be um, – obviously, you don't want to be saying – things that are going to be divisive or that are going contrary to the message of the organization, which you would understand before you accepted the opportunity to speak. So, I I mean, I like getting involved with their people. So, if anything you can do social media-wise, reaching out. I reached out to all the other speakers ahead of time on LinkedIn, uh, tried to, you know, grow a few connections that way. The content, I targeted. It was very interesting on this particular program. I con The content that I uh, created for them was specifically targeted towards entrepreneurs because they are, they had, it was a very entrepreneurial audience of attendees. And so I took some of my, the content I normally do and I, I honed it in for them to be most effective as an entrepreneur. And the really good thing that I find over and over internationally is that people are people. <laughs> you know, we, we may have, there may be some things that are different, but there are an awful lot of things that are the same. And so uh, every, it, it just can be very, very um, 
empowering to recognize that the content you have to offer here in the United States is also very valuable when you head out internationally. What about uh, your uh, your presentation itself, your slides, handouts, anything that you uh, do differently when you are working internationally? You know, the really amazing thing is thanks to technology, it's pretty much the same. I mean, I put my program in a Dropbox, and I do this both nationally and internationally. I get them the the content ahead of time. Now, I know some speakers don't like doing that because sometimes organizers will change the slides, but I'm usually pretty emphatic that I these are to help support my program. I'm, I use uh, visuals because I know some people learn visually, but I am the – they're hiring me. <laughs> so I'm like the main event, right? My slides are just the support. So I don't get too hung up on it, but I use Dropbox, and that way they can go into Dropbox and get and download it. Um, whether it's I use Keynote, but I can also provide it for them in PowerPoint. So whatever they use, and the handout, same thing. I get them the content of the handout. If they want to put it in their program, they can, or if they want to do it as a separate handout, they can, or if they don't want to use it at all, that's fine too. Because again, I'm the main event. They're they're there to see me. And I will convey the message in such a way that they have a good takeaway when they're finished. So, they, yeah, the other stuff is supporting. And I'll tell you why. You never know when something is going to get screwed up with your slides or with your handouts. So do not rely on them for your content. Um, I had an event over in Napa a couple months ago, and the organizer told me, the event was going to be in a restaurant in a private room. And we were expecting about 75 people in a private room. And so I, I, I was visualizing, you know, a rectangular room with me at the front with a place for my slides, you know, the typical conference-type event. Well, doggone right. if I didn't get there, and it was in a tiny little restaurant. It was L-shaped. There was literally they stacked up my the plastic bins that hold the glasses, you know, those square plastic bins that hold the glasses. They stack those up and put a napkin over it to put the projector on. I'm like, okay, this is this is not going to work. And the organizer got there and she's like, Christy, what I really want you to do, this isn't going to work. What I really want you to do is take your your 60 minute presentation. And I want you to give it in ha do half of it and give half of it to one side of the room and then give give it again to the other side of the room. <laughs> and we won't use slides. So because I'm a professional <laughs> and because I know my content inside and out, I was able to condense that hour-long program. I pulled out. Actually, I only had about 20 minutes. I pulled Talk out. Talk about a curveball. That's <laughs> It was, yeah, I mean, this is why we're professionals, right? This is why they pay us, because we can perform no matter what. And I gave them 20 minutes of super valuable, super actionable content that they could use, and I had to yell because it was so loud, because the kitchen was, like, right in the restaurant. It was, oh, it was insane. And then I turned around and I did again with the other half of the group, and you know what? That's, the, that's what happens. It, you can't count on it. So whether you're international or domestic, you've got to know your stuff so well 
that if everything goes great, great. And if everything falls apart, you still have what you need to perform. And that's you. So <laughs> never a dull moment, right? Wow. That is, uh, you know, you're, you're right. When you are a professional, you just have to be ready for whatever is thrown at you. And if you know your stuff, you can handle it. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. Um, do you collect information from your attendees? Like, uh, you do a survey afterwards or do you collect their contact information to follow up with them? Anything like that? Well, that's one of those tricky things because obviously you always want to be growing your email list as a, as a professional. The, um, I like to give them extra stuff for value. So I'll give them a link. I'll say in the middle of my speech, never ever do it at the end, but in the middle, I'm like, if you want more, I have, I prepared something special for you. If you want it, go here, you can download it. And then that's a way to give them added value and then also collect their emails. I don't generally ask the organizers for everybody's email. Um, I know a lot of speakers like to do that. Uh, I find that well, first of all, I don't want to just spam them. And if they're not interested in me, then I don't want to be bugging them in their inbox. That's just my personal philosophy. If they're interested in me and they want more from me, then I want to connect with them. But I want them to make the effort to do it because they're the ones who will stay with you. You know, it's one thing to just add people to your email list, but it's another to have people that actually want your content, <laughs> who actually open your emails, Right. So that's right. how I handle it is I usually give away something of value and then uh, offer offer that so that if they want more information or they want this thing of value that I'm giving them that is connected to what I'm speaking on, then they will they can reach out. And I can do that through texting. You know, Lead Pages is a great resource. Uh, it is – you can create a just easy easy ways to – create either a text to get capture their email or a um, just a lead page. So it's lead I think it's leadpages.net, I think. I don't think it's dot com. I think it's dot net. So that's a good resource. All right. We have a few questions that people have submitted online. I'll see if I can go through a couple of those. Um, Interesting question here from, sorry, my screen is loading. Uh, question was, how do you, uh, how do you, how do you use local language without sounding phony? <laughs> well, first, uh, I think the first thing for all speakers is you have to know your voice. And you have to be okay with your voice. So if you're, if you're, if you are really um, an analytic, sober person, you can't try to be somebody that you're not. Like, I'm a Californian. I don't use the term y'all. Hey, how y'all doing? That would come across as phony because it is phony, right? It's not me. So that's not to say that you don't, um, you don't learn learn some things about the area. For example, in Georgia, they're, they're really known for their yummy food. They have 
really good food, and they they are very proud of their food, right? So um, I was able to eat out a couple times because I was there earlier, so I got a couple favorites. Of course, they're going out of my mind right now, but I referred to some of their favorite foods in my talk. So that was a way of recognizing where I was and also still being authentic to myself because I love to eat, right? So I had had one of their yummy meat dishes, and so I talked a little bit. I said something about that. So that would be a way of bringing it in. Like when I go to the South, I can talk about their barbecue without having to revert to using colloquial Southern language. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I think that the important thing is that you do what you can to make a connection with your audience. And it's not always, uh, you know, it's not being exactly like them. It's not necessarily using the same language, but there are ways to connect with your audience. Right, right, right. right. And, you know, on an international audience, like the people in the room, there were, I don't know, 150 people, attendees maybe, and maybe only 50 of those were from Georgia. Like the vast majority of them were from other parts of the world. I mean, we had people there from Qatar and from Saudi Arabia and from the Philippines and Singapore. I mean, they were all over the world. So it was not really that important for me to talk about the local food or local connection. It was really more important to be more of an international connection. So, yeah, so it depends right. on the audience. If it's, yeah. So you're right. You're exactly right, Ryan. You want to definitely find ways to connect. And so, but it has to be authentic. And where I see speakers get into trouble is they try to be what they're not. So you you have to be okay with who you are and be really good at who you are. And I'll give you an example. When I started speaking, oh my, way back in uh, ninety nine, two thousand, something like that, I um, I, I laugh. You can tell I love to laugh, but I laugh as a nervous laugh. And so I had the opportunity and privilege to work for national seminars in the early 2000s. And every single day I had national seminars is a national um, speak, uh, seminar company who gives seminars. I, I was traveling two to three weeks a month doing a different group every single day. So it was a wonderful, wonderful learning ground. I also, at the end of every single day, I had to give a, a feedback form out and receive those feedback forms from the attendees. I learned very quickly that my laugh was seen as an irritant because it was a nervous laugh. And I would have comments on my feedback forms that said, lose the laugh, or the laugh really takes away from your credibility. Well, so how can I still use my laugh? Because I love to laugh, right? That's part of who I am. How could I use that so that it would be a bridge builder and not a divider? And so I learned how to stay authentic to who I am. I always laugh, and I do use my giggle because that's part of who I am. But now I get the now, and back then when I was working for them, I would get comments that said, I loved your giggle. Your laugh made me laugh. Um, I love your authentic humor. <laughs> and that's because I'm being myself, right? But I've learned how to be it well, not just – I've learned how to kind of minimize the irritating parts, right, and magnify the bridge-building parts. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, and that's great that you can recognize it and find a way to deal with it and use it and bring it into your presentation so that you can be authentic. That is so mm -hmm. important is that you come across mm -hmm. as authentic. Audiences really respond well to an authentic speaker, and they don't respond well at all to somebody they believe is putting on a show that is inauthentic. Correct. Correct. That's very well said. We have a question from Gregory. He would like to know if you have any resources for finding locations, international locations, uh, that are not safe to travel to and are safe to travel to. Uh, let me I'm, let me think about that question. So, how to know whether it's safe to go there or not? Yeah, he's looking for U.S. citizens, places that he should avoid. Well, I think obviously go to that State Department. It's called state.gov is the website. And, in fact, just this morning I heard on the radio that Honduras, they're recommending Americans do not go to Honduras. So if you had travel plans, cancel them. And then I was on that State Department website this morning, and it says current alerts and warnings. And if you go to travel.state.gov, right now there are alerts and warnings for Honduras, Nigeria, El Salvador, Syria. <laughs> no kidding, right? Uh, Pakistan, Cuba, Iran, North Korea. Yeah, we don't want to be going any of those places. So now it's interesting. I'm looking down this list. Like Haiti, there are a lot of people I know that go to Haiti but you want to be careful where you go. And so then you, what you do is you click through the Haiti travel warning, and it was dated September 12th, and then it goes into details about what's going on there, and then you can make a good decision whether you would be in the areas where there's difficulties or not, or whether you want to not go. So that, that's a great resource. It, it's travel.state.gov, and it is a whole list of alerts and warnings. Great. Paul, we'll put that in the show notes for everybody also. And the show notes are available yep. at speakermatch.com slash radio. Speakermatch.com slash radio. Uh, let's see. I think that you've done a really good job of answering questions. We had a lot of people that put in questions, but it looks like you have, uh, like I said, gotten to them. So that's great. And if anybody has any questions, uh, Comments they'd like to make live, dial star 2 or press your – raise your hand button. This is the last opportunity before Can uh, I give one more thing to, I was uh, thinking of? Jump in. Can yeah. I, Brian, say one more thing I was thinking of that I was confused about before I started doing international, and that is when you hear somebody say it will be a direct translation, because that's always the yeah, problem. How do people who don't speak English understand English? Are you going to have a translator standing right next to you, or what's going to happen? And what I typically see happening, and uh, this has happened, it, it's happened for me in Spain and China and in uh, Tbilisi also, is the direct translation happens at the same time, and they have a little box kind of set up in the back of the room like a little sound studio. And the translator sits in that little sound studio, and they speak into a microphone, and the attendees who do not speak English or whatever language is being spoken um, gets a, get a headset. 
And the, so the people in the room put the headset on, and I do my thing in, in English, and the, the translator is right there in the room. And in the moment, when I say in the moment, she says, in, in, la mom- in el momento, right? And, and that's Spanish, right? But she would say it mm-hmm. exactly like I just said it, and it's a direct translation into the headsets of the people in the room. So it's very uh, – and for me, it was interesting this time, and, and I've, I've heard this as well before, with their speaking, whether it was Mandarin or they're speaking in uh, Georgian on the stage, in my ears I was hearing the English translation. So that's what when they when they ask about when you ask about how are the attendees going to understand what I'm saying, they use a direct translation. That's what that means, and it, it works very so well. Do you, do you adapt your program at all for non-native English speakers? No, I do a little bit. I try not to use as uh, many colloquialisms and slang. I try to use less of that. And, for example, if I would say something and I would hear myself use the slang verbiage, I can't think of anything right now, but I would re-say it in a little clearer language. And you'll, you'll, you'll hear yourself when you're doing it. <laughs> you should hear yourself if you're paying attention, right? So I don't do memorized speeches. I basically know what I'm going to say. And I, I have a really um, – my – style is definitely more in the, the training mode in that it's more interactive and I don't just give a rote memorized memorization program. That's not how I do my speaking. So I can rephrase and reframe something as I'm saying it as I watch how the audience is getting it or not getting it. Right. What's the best part of international travel for you? Oh, gosh, the best part is seeing things you would never, ever, ever get to see or experience. For me, this last trip was we had four days in Turkey, and one of those days we went down to Ephesus, which is, you know, I'm a Christian, and I've read the New Testament, the book of Ephesians my whole life, and to actually walk on the streets that Paul walked on and that were there in biblical times. And that was like, for me, that's the kind of experience you just say there is no other way that I would ever have this kind of experience. And it enriches my life so much. You either love to travel or you don't. And if you don't like to travel you and you want to be a speaker, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> so you would have to live in a really big city, right? So you could do all your work right in your own big city, right in your own town. But, but for most speakers, it involves a lot of travel. So I find such joy in the – I just try to find joy in the experience itself. I mean, they pay me – like the speaking is the fun part, right? The travel is the harder part. But it's also the most rewarding part as you get to experience things that you never would have experienced. You get to meet people you never would have met. Like I met the most amazing people who were from Qatar and from uh, United Arab Emirates, wonderful people, couple families, and that they were at that conference, and I would have never met them. And I'm probably going to get to go speak in those areas because of them. And I've made some wonderful new friends that I would have never met. So to me, those are just like the most magical part, parts of international travel. You just find people that are, but, you know, for, do we have time for an example? What time is it? 
Oh, we don't. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, I was just say, if it's I, if it's okay with you, if you're okay staying on, then sure we can stay on for a little bit longer. Uh, okay, I'll just tell this real quick story because I think we started so a little bit classic. late, so it's okay. Okay, okay, it's so classic of internet. What happens, with, especially with international opportunities? And I met this this um, these three women owned a business in Qatar, which is in the Middle East. And the, one of the women brought her husband and her son along on the trip as well. Well, her son is like 28 years old, um, really vibrant, dynamic, n- neat guy. He, the interesting thing was that all of the Muslims were on the tour that I took with my daughter, which was the um, World Heritage Site tour, while the many of the other people went on the winery tours but the muslims don't drink wine and i wasn't going to go on a wine tour with my 13 year old daughter so they were all together on that excursion day on saturday and so we got to know each other pretty well which was just like magical and we met this young boy my point in telling the story about this young 28 year old who i call a boy right he could be my son since i'm 54 he was so darling and i'm like oh my gosh he'd done architecture work and he'd done physical training and his, he was in school studying english because he really wants to do he wants to do translation work and he does anything to do english he loves english and i'm like oh my gosh you could come you could come stay with us and we could you could do a job in California, we'd love to have you. And he's like, oh, I am like the last possible person who could come into the United States right now. It's really hard. And it was like all these bells went off because, oh, yeah, he's a single, he's young, he's Muslim, he's from the heart of the Middle East in Qatar, all those things. When you hear about, quote, unquote, Muslim ban, we understand it intellectually, right? We understand it. You meet somebody like I met this young boy in, in the course of international travel. It puts a face to the, the to the situation. Do you know what I'm saying? Because all of a sudden, I will never think of Muslim Bam the same way again because of this family that I met and this young guy that I met. And I think that's what happens with international experiences and opportunities is it gives you real people to connect to all across the globe and it helps you understand the importance of really good legislation really good rules the importance of what we do here in the u.s to keep ourselves safe at the same time recognizing that that just just that the connections have to be made so i i think I loved that because I thought, you know, this is such a blessing and opportunity for me to meet these guys and to connect and build relationships with them that I never, ever would have been able to do before. And that's what happens when you do these kind of international opportunities. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. That's uh, You've had some great experiences, and I really appreciate all the tips that you had to share with us. Before I let you go, do you have any recommendations for someone that is considering international gigs? Well, be open to it. Be open to it. Put it out there that you want to do it and start looking for opportunities and just 
be open to it because something magical happens when you kind of open your mind and you open your life and you say, I am so ready to do fill in the blank. And then before you know it, opportunities start coming. And so I would just be very open. And I think of that lady that I mentioned at the very beginning of our talk today where of the call where she was back east and she was going to do it and we talked and we talked about it she ended up backing out of the of doing it she said i just don't feel good about it and she didn't do it which is fine for her i'm not judging that but i'm just saying i had such an amazing opportunity such a fantastic trip doing this last gig in georgia i'm so glad i did it i am so glad i went through the unknown and allowed that experience to happen because it has enriched my life. And so if you're thinking about it, be open to the opportunities and look for every opportunity as it comes along because you never know what magic can happen. You, it is so true. You never know what's going what's gonna to come from it, and that's one of the reasons that, that we're speakers. <laughs> exactly. So uh, if, if anybody would like to get more information from you, uh, we have a, uh, a link on our show notes page, uh, christylargent.com slash travel tips. Is that, that good? Well, <laughs> it will be tonight. I haven't got it finished yet. <laughs> but I will all right, you sorry. reach out to me. I, I'll, I'll let Paul know as soon as that's ready. But reach out to me. I'm on uh, Instagram. I'm working on that. I'm working on my YouTube channel. I've got everything is at Christy Largent, so I would love to hear from you guys. If this has been helpful, I would love to hear and and uh, and help you in any way that I possibly can. All right, thank you again, Christy. If you listen you're, to other podcasts, you're, you're probably used. <laughs> if you listen to other podcasts, you're probably used to hearing requests for iTunes reviews, and these reviews are really important to us because it's the fuel that we use to bring on great guests and build our audience. And if you value today's call or any previous interview that you've listened to, I would really appreciate it if you could take just a few minutes to go onto iTunes, search for Speaker Match, and click the Review tab to let others know what you think. It would really mean a lot to us. We would really appreciate it. And until next time, this is Brian Kaplovitz. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Speaker Match radio series, Success Strategies for Speakers from the Pros. Speaker Match is the leading provider of tools and services for emerging professional speakers. You can find more information about Speaker Match at www.speakermatch.com. Our toll-free number, if you prefer to reach us by phone, is 1-866-372-8768. International callers can reach us at area code 512-372-8768. Thank you again for listening, and we wish you the best in your speaking career.